Welcome to the Fertility Journeys podcast. Here's Dr. Shala Salem. An incredible woman, an infertility warrior, and someone who advocates for the infertility community. Welcome, Marilyn Gomez. For women of color, it's very important for us to identify these stereotypes at the doctor's office. No one is going to advocate for you. You are your own advocate, and you are essentially interviewing and hiring your doctor. And so when you go in there with that mindset, your chin is up a little higher, your shoulders are rolled back, you have both feet firmly planted on the ground because you know you're the only one that can advocate for yourself. And so you have to be ready. You have to be ready and you know your body more than anybody else. And so just going in with that expectation that yes, there are stereotypes against women of color in doctor's offices. So just letting women know that that can happen to you and just to be ready to ask a few more questions. I know the fertility journey is not easy. Many suffer in silence, walking that line between hope and devastation. More often than we know, the path to building a family is met with challenges. I'm Dr. Shala Salem, and for over a decade, I have been helping people just like you on their fertility journey. As a physician and a PCOS warrior who's gone through my own fertility struggles, I am passionate about helping to support your mental and physical well-being, foster your resilience, and help you maintain your sense of self on this difficult journey. I created this podcast to support you. Each week, you can learn from our expert guests about proven holistic and integrative methods to nurture your mind, body, and spirit, and hear women share their own stories to remind you that you are not alone. Welcome to Fertility Journeys. Now, here's Dr. Shala with the truth about toxins. Thanks for joining me today. I'm very passionate about reducing toxins and chemical exposures for both men and women of all ages. And this is a topic that's getting a little bit more press recently, but this is nothing new. And there are a lot of women that I see out there who have not heard of this, so I'm always trying to share information on this whenever I can. The chemicals that we're exposed to in our environment, some of them fall into a category called endocrine disruptors. And this is a subset of chemicals that can impact our hormones. They may impact the binding, the production, the transport, excretion of our hormones. Now, the hormone system in our body involves multiple organs that communicate through tiny messages in our bloodstream. So one of the arguments that I often hear is, well, everybody's exposed to chemicals and it's such a small amount, it can't be that big of a deal. But when you understand that hormones communicate in whispers, as I say, then you understand that chemicals could potentially play a role. And one of the analogies that I have heard used in the past is that hormones speak to each other in parts per trillion. And what that means is one drop of water in an Olympic-sized swimming pool. Chemicals can disrupt our hormones from speaking to each other and from communicating the correct messages. And many of the studies that are done on chemicals are done on one particular chemical. They're not done on the barrage of chemicals that we're exposed to. They're usually done for a short period of time. They're not over the extended period of time that we're exposed to chemicals. And don't forget that everybody's body is different. So while you may know somebody who never eliminated chemicals from their environment and seemingly had no difficulty conceiving, there are some that chemical exposure may help them. There's some that perhaps removing some of the chemicals that they're exposed to may help in this area. And so I think anybody can benefit. One of the things I'm always fearful of when I speak about environmental chemicals is creating this feeling of overwhelm. So many women who are on the fertility journey are already overwhelmed. And so when I speak about environmental chemicals, I'm never here to try to overwhelm you or try to create this perfectionism of trying to eliminate everything and trying to you know, add that to all the other things we're doing like meditating and eating perfectly and all the things you're supposed to quote unquote do just right to help you conceive. Think of this as I speak about many other things. 
like nutrition, like exercise, every little bit you do can help. There's no such thing as perfect. We're not striving for perfection. Perfection is not necessary. And when it comes to environmental chemicals, what we have seen is we believe that those who are in the highest level of exposure group, that top 25% of exposure, those are the women and men who will benefit the most from reduction. And one of the first chemicals that I like to speak to patients about is BPA or bisphenol A. And this is a chemical that's found in plastics. It's known to have estrogenic properties, so similar to our hormone estrogen. And just a little bit of background about BPA is that BPA was invented all the way back in 1891. Then in the 1930s, it was considered for use as a pharmaceutical estrogen. So they wanted to use it for things at the time they thought maybe it was gonna be helpful to prevent miscarriage. And then they found another chemical called diethylsilbestrol or DES, and they used that in the place of BPA, and that was put back up on the shelf. BPA was eventually used in the 1950s in plastics because it was found to help create strong yet flexible plastics. And this was really the era of explosion of plastic production. One of the quotes that is from that time was, better life through chemicals. And it wasn't until the 1990s when studies started to show that BPA was actually potentially toxic even at low levels. And one of the things that's really interesting about this story is remember that chemical DES or diethylstilbestrol? Well, that chemical was later found to be linked to an alarming number of vaginal cancer cases in very young women, and it was eventually banned and taken off the market in the 1970s. That same chemical is also linked to breast cancer and congenital anomalies of the reproductive tract, and there's some evidence of potential third-generational effects. But we've continued to allow a chemical that has known estrogenic properties to be used in tons of products by men and women and children alike, and this chemical is BPA or bisphenol A. Now, BPA has been linked to infertility in men, women, reduced success with in vitro fertilization, polycystic ovarian syndrome, endometriosis, diabetes, obesity, alterations in immune function, heart disease, high blood pressure, and lasting effects on multiple generations after the initial exposure. So where can we find BPA? Well, BPA is found in single-use plastic bottles, other plastic drink bottles, plastic Tupperware, food containers from takeout restaurants, lining of canned foods, concert tickets and plane boarding passes, and coating of receipts. Reduction of BPA exposure is important, and we're going to talk a little bit about how we can reduce. But first, you know, the CDC has done studies that have found BPA metabolized to be present in over 93% of the population. So we know we can't completely eliminate BPA exposure, but again, we want to try to reduce our exposure so we're not in that upper quartile where we're going to see so many of these effects. Here are some of the steps that I would recommend taking. Try to eliminate or greatly reduce your plastic water bottles and start using glass or stainless steel refillable water bottles. Purchase your food in glass jars instead of can or plastic whenever possible. Say no thank you to store receipts. This is one that so many people don't even realize. If you don't need to get that receipt from the gas station or the receipt from Starbucks or the receipt for your lunch, just say no thank you. The more that you're exposed to receipts, the higher levels of BPA that have been seen. And, if, and those who are in lines of work where they're constantly touching receipts, they did see that there was higher levels of BPA exposure. Try to reduce storing food in plastic if at all possible. There are lots of options now for glass Tupperware or using mason jars is another great option. If you are going to a concert or boarding a plane, opt for boarding passes or tickets on your phone and then limit or eliminate canned food exposure. That's a really big one. And when it comes to purchasing things in glass or purchasing things in cans, some of the things that can increase your exposure to BPA are fatty foods, tomato or acidic foods. And so it's especially important to purchase those in glass whenever possible. But what about BPA-free? Isn't that safe? Well, unfortunately, the short answer is no. 
BPA-free often means that the company has just switched out BPA for BPS or BPF. It's one of the sister bisphenols in place of that BPA because they know that consumers are now starting to look for things that don't have BPA because they've heard that BPA is unsafe. That doesn't mean it's safe, unfortunately. There's a lot of evidence to say that some of the effects that we see from BPA are the same, if not worse, with some of these sister bisphenols. So those are just a few tips to help you reduce BPA. I hope that you found this helpful. Again, my mission is never to overwhelm you. My mission is to educate you, help you to be informed, make informed choices, try to reduce your exposure whenever you can. We are not aiming for perfection. We're aiming for reduction. Thanks for joining me today. Social media is a wonderful place to connect with women from all over, and it allowed me to connect with my next guest, who is an incredible woman, an infertility warrior, and someone who advocates for the infertility community. She teaches women how to self-advocate and takes us on spiritual journeys where she shares her crystals and her experience with her past life regression therapy. Welcome, Marilyn Gomez. Thank you so much for having me, Shala. Thank you for being here. I really love your social media account. I can't tell you on Instagram mm-hmm. how you. much I enjoy it. I laugh all the time with you. <laughs> yeah. You are also a spiritual person, but a non-traditional sense. You mm-hmm. are a Reiki teacher, right? Yeah. And can you tell us a little bit about how you got into that and what drew you to Reiki? I grew up in a very religious household, but my mom always would tell me about spirituality and the way that was non-traditional, like you said, about being self-healers and focusing on having a clear mind and white light and all of that. But it always felt very taboo to marry that with the practice that I grew up in. I grew up Catholic, so that was always there. And I started exploring all of this as a modality, not as a replacement of anything, but also as an extension of how we are so powerful in self-healing. And so during my infertility journey, Mm -hmm. I was so desperate for something, some type of healing. And I was like, okay, I'm going to therapy, but I need something else. And I had heard of Mm -hmm. Reiki and I didn't know what that was. And I started to read about being a self-healer and I knew that I could feel the vibration of being a healer for others in some sense, but also mm-hmm. use this as a tool for my own healing. So that's how it started during my fertility journey is just learning more about self-healing. And so I decided to study Reiki and become a Reiki master. And the intention, and it's still present day, is not to outwardly at this moment open a practice or heal others mm-hmm. on the side. It's more something that I use for my family on myself. That's how I started using it was during um, my fertility journey. It was so helpful, Mm -hmm. so grounding. And it also allowed me to feel so much control over something that I cannot control. Mm -hmm. I like that. Identifying that there's something that you could find some control in Mm -hmm. and having the uh, ability to feel like maybe you're healing yourself. Mm -hmm. And when did you use it during your fertility journey? Can you tell us also a little bit more about how you do it? Yeah. During my fertility journey, I became a Reiki master between IVF number two and IVF number three. When I was like, okay, before I start IVF number three, I have to make sure that if for some reason the next IVF does not work, because I was already done, Shala. I was like, I'm going to do one more. If it doesn't work, I, I, can't, I cannot do this for my mm-hmm. mental health anymore. I can close this chapter. I have the tools. I've been going to therapy and I have to be able to be okay. And so it's a lot of visualization. Um, Mm -hmm. When I see my hands, I see like white laser beams coming out, super powerful. And so I feel, I just got chills, but I feel this white light coming out of my hands and it's filled with so much love. And so I just, Mm -hmm. sometimes I'll just visualize I'm looking at myself and I'm just kind of moving my hands through my body to move energy. Mm-hmm. I keep getting goosebumps or I'll focus on a particular area on my body, just focus on giving it white light and releasing it and sending whatever is not good for it out into the world. But that also goes hand in hand with being in good health, hydrating, eating right. clean, being free of chemicals and toxins and working towards 
always putting things that are good and nourishing into your body. You totally resonated with me for all of those reasons because for for me, I feel the same way that you really need to nourish your body. Mm-hmm. And that's really one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because I I wonder if you felt that there was some shift in you between your second cycle and your third cycle, physically, spiritually, that maybe impacted your success. Yeah, I felt... I felt, how do I even put this into words? How do I put this feeling into words of just like, I'm going to be okay. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be okay. And releasing anything that you've been programmed to think that you needed to do. Like we've all been told the story. You dream of your wedding when you're a little girl, you get married, you have babies. Just like that, that Mm -hmm. one song, like, um, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes a baby in a baby carriage. And it's like, that's so damaging to a young little girl. Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, now there's no baby in a baby carriage. And so it was a lot of undoing all that programming in your Mm -hmm. mind and just saying, okay, I am capable, I'm strong, I am powerful, and I'm capable of just writing a brand new chapter for my life that no one else can dictate. And so going into my third IVF, my husband and I created a game plan. We're like, okay, this is what we're going to do. If it works, Mm -hmm. great. If it doesn't work, we are going to adopt and rescue animals, specifically dogs. I wanted to have a dog rescue center, like in my backyard or something by land and just rescue dogs. And we actually adopted a rescue dog at eight weeks old, a month before my third transfer. Oh, wow. The one that worked. And I was like, okay. And he's like, my fur baby. And I was like, okay, buddy, <laughs> it's just me. If this is at work, it's just me and you. We'll, we'll adopt more friends and we'll be okay. It won't be easy, but we will be mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. Can you take us a little bit back? We know we kind of started in the middle here, but I want to go <laughs> back a little bit to how your fertility journey started. We both knew we wanted a big family. We got married in July 2009. And in September, we started, I'm going to put this in quotes, trying. And I put it in quotes because we were having unprotected sex already. Mm-hmm. And so when we started trying, there's no difference. Like, right. what's going on? And my husband's like, you mm-hmm. know what? Let's not wait the year. Let's just make an appointment with the OB. We've been having a protected sex. Yes. You have not been pregnant. Just tell them we've been trying for a year. Like done. Mm-hmm. How can they tell? Especially if you have family history. And so I go to my OB and I was like, we've been trying for a year. She's like, okay, you're young. Let's put you on Clomid. Mm-hmm. Shall I remember? I was like so excited. I started researching Clomid. I'm like, oh, you can have twins. I've always wanted twins. This is mm-hmm. great. So first month Clomid didn't work. Second month didn't work. Third month didn't work. And I was like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. What am I doing wrong? And I started to blame myself. Maybe I wasn't a good enough daughter or this is God getting back at me because I went through a little rebellious phase in my teenage years, like every kid does, or just, Mm -hmm. I just felt like I'm being punished. And so after seven months of being on Clomid and my doctor kept upping the the milligrams on it, seven months later, I remember sitting with her and I'm like, it's not working. And she's like, we can keep going. And my gut was like, you can't. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I have to be totally honest. We were living in Orlando, Florida. So I was driving on a highway and I got off of their freeway to go through a neighborhood, like a scenic route to go home. And I saw an office that said reproductive endocrinologists. And I was like, what does that mean? Oh, fertility. Oh, wow. So I called them I'm on the side of the road. I need to make an appointment, a consult, basically. And so I got in several weeks later. And uh, the doctor, he gave me so much hope. And so it really inflated my expectation. He was like, Mm -hmm. oh, you're young, you're Latina. Mm -hmm. From what you say, your parents come from large families. My mom is one of 14. Mm -hmm. My dad's one of 12. And he's like, let's take a look inside your uterus to make sure you don't have anything in there. You won't have a problem getting pregnant. And I was like, okay. The doctor told me I wouldn't have a problem getting pregnant. And so we scheduled a laparoscopy and he went in and found really mild endometriosis. And when I was coming out of anesthesia, I remember this was so awkward. And he's like, okay, your uterus looks beautiful. It's nice and clean. You will have no problem getting pregnant. If you guys want to try right now, 
here's your chance. And you walked out of the wow. room. And I was in that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, this is what was it. I was so excited. But now I look back, that was so messed up because that was not yeah. the problem. To... And then we went back to trying traditionally again. During that time, my husband had a job transfer from Orlando to Salt Lake City, Utah. So mm -hmm. we packed up our condo, moved to Salt Lake City, Utah. And I'm like, okay, now we've been trying for a second year and something's not right. So I found a new RE, did six IUIs, didn't work. And when I went to the last follow-up appointment mm -hmm. was when I was getting on Instagram and learning about the questions that other women were asking when right. um, IUIs weren't working. You don't know what to ask because we don't understand the reproductive system like that mm -hmm. yet unless you're trying to conceive. You really truly don't. Yeah, totally. And so I was asking him questions like, what are your thoughts about vitamin D levels? Does that affect fertility? And he was not interested in answering my questions. Mm. And it made me feel really stupid for I'm even sorry. asking. I was trying to really understand my body and trying to see if we could just expand the bandwidth of what am I missing here? Mm -hmm. And he wasn't giving me the comfort or the acknowledgement I needed, even just bringing right. up an article or research or anything, nothing. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, yeah, I'm paying just dismissed. you tons of money. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's not going to happen anymore, doctor. Mm, so yeah. I found another reproductive endocrinologist. And this one was recommended to me by a coworker at the time. Mm -hmm. And she was like, I got pregnant. And, and so I went and gave this doctor my history. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's like, okay, I think I recommend starting IVF. Mm -hmm. And I thought that guaranteed me a baby. Yeah. I just thought, okay, the process is longer and more mm -hmm. expensive, but it's going to guarantee me a baby. And I just didn't really understand. Still so naive, didn't really truly understand what that all meant, especially with a potential diagnosis of unexplained infertility. Right. So I had my first IVF, got a positive beta, and then the second one, the numbers didn't rise. And then she said it was a chemical pregnancy. And I found our follow-up appointment conversation really interesting because she shared a lot of statistics. And so I was like so intrigued. And she's like, I know we can get you pregnant. Okay, let's do it again. And I signed up for IVF number two, like right there. I'm doing this again. <laughs> mm -hmm. And my husband was like, Marilyn, we've got to slow down because I think you've got to start looking into a therapist because I feel like you're obsessed. This yeah. is all you think about. Of course, I've been told mm -hmm. to multiply and replenish the earth my entire life. I feel like I, I'm not doing my job as a woman. That's what I was conditioned to think. And I can't reproduce. I owe my parents a grandchild. How can I keep you from fulfilling mm -hmm. the role as a father? I just felt so much guilt and so much responsibility. We've got to do this. And he's like, slow down. Let's find a therapist. And so I found one for myself and it was the best gift. It was the best gift. It was amazing. And if anyone is listening to this podcast, asterisk mm -hmm. right now, this part, during your infertility journey, start as soon as possible seeing a therapist because your mental health is so important. Percent. Even if you start with Clomid, you need to see a therapist as soon yes. as possible. It's so, because so important. You already had a long history before you even started Clomid, right? Absolutely. It's like the clock Absolutely. wasn't started at the right time. Right. And it's just good to release that to somebody mm -hmm. else that can help you navigate the ebbs and flows of this journey that's so hard that you carry alone because no one can tell you have this disease. Mm -hmm. I found this incredible therapist and she was incredible because she had also experienced infertility. Mm -hmm. She started a support group. And she was like, I have four other patients that are on the same path as you. I would love for you to consider joining. I'm going to start the support group, but I want to kick it off with you guys. And so I was like, done. So while I was preparing for my second IVF, I started individual therapy and support group. And it was great. But when my second IVF failed, I miscarried on Christmas Day, which was like oh gut-wrenching. I had this obsession of planning my IVF transfer mm -hmm. around the fall time so that I can announce on Christmas that I was like, look, a miracle child is going to mm -hmm. come. <laughs> and it sounds crazy, but I, yeah. we create these timelines right. that measure, okay, my arms are still empty. My arms are still empty. So you have this imagination. I don't know Stories if it's like... become like yeah. reality. Yeah. And I don't know if it's mm -hmm. to keep hope or... Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. But that one was a really hard one. That one 
was when I really realized like, oh, yeah, girl, you're mm-hmm. fertile. <laughs> like this is, yeah, you've been in this for a while. This is real. And so after that second failed IVF, my cycle started five months later, but I started to just really focus on my therapy, um, Reiki mm-hmm. and self-healing and really putting my war gear for that last one. Okay, I can do this one more time. Mm-hmm. And because I was kind of peppering my fertility story through my Instagram, I had someone reach out to me. She was also in the infertility community. She said, Marilyn, I know you have unexplained infertility. There is a woman that's significantly older than you with horrible eggs. And she got pregnant at this particular clinic. And I know that if she can get pregnant at 45 with bad Mm -hmm. eggs, that you can get pregnant in your early 30s with unexplained Mm -hmm. infertility. Here's the contact information to the doctor. Here's her contact information. She knows that I've shared it with you. If you want to reach out to her and pick your brain, she's expecting a phone call from you. That to me was so generous and kind. So I call this woman I've never met before and we talked for hours. And she's like, I know it can be mind boggling going to a different clinic, but the way they have it set up, it was a great experience. All right, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to go big. And so I set up an appointment and spent the day doing like a one day workup. And I felt really, really good about everything. And so my transfer was September 20th of 2015. Mm -hmm. And I transferred to genetically normal embryos. And that was another thing is that they were like, we won't accept you unless you accept getting your embryos genetically tested. And during that time, Mm -hmm. I was like, does that mean I'm playing God? I just didn't understand. Oh, no, I feel like I'm doing something wrong. My Mm -hmm. husband's like, what if there is something wrong with the embryos and you're just transferring bad embryos? We need to know more answers. Right. All right, you're right. Let's do this. Between retrieval and transfer, there was a lot of months, a good four months. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and that transfer, that transfer worked. And in October, I went in to see a heartbeat and I saw one. So one of them didn't work. It just like mm-hmm. dissolved, I guess. They explained it to me that way. And then it was so unreal to me. I remember that day, like it was yesterday, just sitting there waiting. The doctor comes in because your belly is still flat, you know, and you mm-hmm. see a flicker and you're like, that's happening inside me. And right. it didn't feel real at all. And I was still very anxious. So I think infertility conditions us to wait for the other shoe to drop. Yes. And then I had my little girl in June of 2016. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Your story is something that I think will resonate with so many. And I wanted to go back to something that you said early on, that your doctor said you're young and you're Mm -hmm. Latina. For me, that kind of language, it it seems like it's empowering and it's going to help people. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, when you look back, it, it can be a little bit hurtful, right? And sort of, hmm. Is that the right thing to say? (laughs) Yeah. And you don't really realize that in the moment Mm -hmm. because you're experiencing it for the first time, right? Mm -hmm. And so now that I'm on the other side, you're still infertile, but you got pregnant through science. Yeah. When I get involved in support groups or, you know, a speaking engagement or something, for women of color, it's very important for us to identify these stereotypes at the doctor's office. Mm -hmm. No one is going to advocate for you. You are your own advocate. And you are essentially interviewing and hiring your doctor. And so when you go in there with that mindset, your chin is up a little higher. Your shoulders are rolled back. You have both feet firmly planted on the ground because you know you're the only one that can advocate for yourself. And so you have to be ready. You have to be ready. And you know your body more than anybody else. And so just going in with that expectation that, yes, there are stereotypes against women of color in doctor's offices. So just letting women know that that can happen to you and just to be ready to ask a few more questions. Did you notice anything else being a Latina and going through infertility that you weren't really represented? You didn't see yourself in ads or things like that for women with infertility? I didn't in the moment. First, you feel like a science experiment and you're so inward into yourself. You just don't really see what's happening around you. Mm -hmm. But now that I've had the chance to reflect at every single office that I've been in, every single experience that I've had, I was not represented anywhere I went. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Anywhere I went. 
You mentioned that you have a very large extended family. How did that influence your journey and your expectations? Well, as a little girl, every year we would spend Christmas in Colombia, and I have lots of cousins. <laughs> Big extended <laughs> family, lots of cousins. And so Christmases were always filled with so much joy, chatter. It was just beautiful family reunions. And so in my head, I'm like, oh, this is what I want. And so going into starting a family, it was like, I, it was almost like I, I had to fulfill that. And, mm -hmm. and I certainly didn't feel like I was expected to have a big family, but at least two, because I come from a family of four. Right. And my husband is one of six. I've always wanted a big family because I've always felt surrounded by just so many children. And so realizing that it's okay to undo and rewrite those dreams and that you're totally capable of doing that. And oftentimes we have to really level with ourselves. I had two more embryos that were frozen after my daughter was born from mm -hmm. my second failed IVF. And I sat on those for four years. And then finally, I was like, okay, I'm going to trans. I, I'm good. If it doesn't work, I'm good. If it works, this is great. I'll have my mm -hmm. big family that I've always wanted. And I transferred those two embryos October of 2019. And it didn't work. And mm -hmm. so I was like, I have no more embryos. And now I've got to really hone into the power that I feel and that I know that I have within me to say, you're going to be okay, Marilyn. There are stereotypes with having one child that are not accurate, and um, you can shift that perception by sharing your family experience. And you can close that chapter and be good with one child. The stuff you share about being okay with one child and not having to cave to that social pressure of, oh, my child needs to have a sibling or my child is not going to be okay, I really appreciate that. And I think that it's something that first, there's this pressure to have a baby. And then mm -hmm. it's like, when's the next one coming, right? Mm -hmm. That's the next question that comes along. Why aren't you going to give your child a sibling? She's going to be by herself. How did you handle those type of comments and, and kind of keep your boundaries? That's such a great question. I lead a series for women with secondary infertility. And I teach about limiting beliefs. And oftentimes these limiting beliefs creep into her head. And those are things that are negative that keep us from growth, right? And so I remember after that last transfer that didn't work and I was like, okay, what are some potential limiting beliefs, Marilyn, that will creep into your head that you need to just be ready with your comeback, your clapback statements for yourself and for people when they ask, like, when are you going to give your daughter a sibling? Mm-hmm because she's going to be lonely. So yeah. that is like the most common one. Oh, your child's going to be lonely. And then mm -hmm. and my limiting belief, my clapback, and I know this to be true because I purposely went and sought out adults that are only children and they all said the same thing. And that was pretty amazing. They said, I never felt lonely because I had access to my mom and my dad or my parents or my guardians mm -hmm. at all times. And it was great. Right. And so I was like, my child will never be lonely because she is with me. She's with her father. And we have access to each other whenever mm -hmm. she wants. We're always together. What beautiful gift is that? Is the gift of giving my daughter not just her mother, but she knows me as me, not Marilyn as, well, both, right? She knows me as her mother role, but she also knows me like my quirks, my hobbies, things mm -hmm. I love, things I don't love. She knows all the emotions that I experience and we walk through things together. And those are beautiful moments for us. And I'm not saying that's not attainable when you have more than one child. I'm saying that you can also do that with one child too. And your child will never be lonely. Another thing too is like, what will happen if something happens to you and your husband? She'll be all alone. Mm -hmm. Well, there are families where the siblings are not even close. They're yes. closer to cousins, extended family members, or friends. I have friends that I'm closer to than my sister. It doesn't mean that I love my sister any less. I love and respect her. Mm -hmm. And we're there for each other for anything. But I have friends that, that you just find that soul connection with. And so that is my clapback for that limiting belief. And then I think about like, 
oh, I can pay for her college. I can buy her a new car. <laughs> We've got extra money. Traveling is easier. And then I get right. myself back faster. Mm -hmm. I'm myself. Maryland is Maryland is Maryland. I'm not boggled down and stressed out about other things, which again, I am not saying that it's not possible if you have more than one child. Mm -hmm. I'm saying it's beautiful to experience both at the exact same time as early as you can. Right. Totally. I love that. Having just things kind of set so you don't have to feel like Oh, maybe they're right. You kind of already mm -hmm. ready. This is the way it mm -hmm. is. I wanted to ask you a little bit about if you could go back to speak to Marilyn starting her fertility journey, what would you tell her? I would tell her, go to therapy with your husband. Men mm -hmm. process grief and loss so differently than we do as women. I don't want to be too general, but in my case, my husband, I couldn't tell that he was affected, but internally, mm -hmm. um, he wasn't well. He picked up habits that weren't healthy, just like eating poorly, wasn't mm -hmm. exercising as much, wasn't keeping up with like the cleanliness of his vehicle, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And that was all a side effect, a symptom of grief, right. even though we didn't talk about it. So I would get in time machine, go back to Maryland starting out and say, go to therapy with your spouse. Not only mm -hmm. would it allow open lines of communication, which we did openly communicate, but it was mostly me. He never mm -hmm. really shared how he was feeling. But also you do go through levels of resentment as the primary person with the infertility. You're a pincushion, you're a science experiment. You're carrying the weight of hormones, injections, and the transfers of the losses. Our bodies go through so much. There was a lot of underlying resentment that I didn't realize that I carried. I didn't. Mm -hmm. And so encouraging anybody at the beginning of their journey, go to therapy with your spouse, like on your own and with your spouse. That's wonderful advice because like you said, men go through and handle grief differently. Mm -hmm. And then we as women judge them because they're not upset enough or why are they doing this? They should be more sad. And why aren't they saying this to me? And why did they say that to me? In fact, they actually are really hurting inside, but they may be trying to keep a strong face for you or because Absolutely. that's not how they were raised. So I think that going to therapy together is such a great idea. It's hard though, right? Because not is. all men may be open to that idea because mm -hmm. it's like, oh, I'm good. I don't think I need to talk to somebody. It's even hard for a lot of women. I, I know yeah. I tell a lot of women early on, I really think that you should meet with someone and talk to somebody like, I'm okay. Because we have this idea that you need to be completely broken before mm -hmm. you go to see someone mm -hmm. for your mental health. Why are we like mm -hmm. that? It's, you are preaching. I, I... <laughs> yep, absolutely. When you're in the depths of despair, then you yeah. can go to see a therapist, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. But we go to a primary care physician to go for our annual checkup, right? Right, exactly. We don't do that for our mental health at all. Yeah. Some people will never talk to a therapist for their whole life because they're like, I don't have problems. But we all yeah. have things that come from things. our childhood uh -huh. and things that impact how we communicate and how we process things. And sometimes there's a lot of potential childhood trauma that may mm -hmm. actually come in to your infertility journey and you may not even realize it. Absolutely. That's absolutely true. Yeah. So I 100% agree with that. Mm -hmm. Please, please. I can't stress that enough to speak to somebody early on in your journey and if you can really speak to your partner about going with you so so important and i do have to preface this go to a licensed therapist fertility coaches are great to help motivate you moving forward but you mm -hmm. cannot gain the tools unless you see a licensed mental health therapist that can help you with the nitty-gritty of everything that comes with facing infertility while you're in the thick of it. Yeah, 100% agree. Yeah, there's a space for fertility coaches, but mm -hmm. also really working with a licensed therapist. Mm -hmm. And if you could find someone with infertility experience, that's even better. Yeah. It's hard to find, but if you could do that, that's the best. Yeah, and what I love though about also fertility coaches is that they're like your biggest cheerleader. They're mm -hmm. there for you. They're there to motivate you, encourage you. It's like your daily motivator. And, and some of them have created just really great plans for you to kind of stay whole during the process as well. 
you got involved with social media, but you had mentioned if you don't have friends that have it, you don't have any family members, mm-hmm. they may have it, but they're not sharing, let's mm-hmm. say, then you feel by yourself. So if you have someone like a coach or you're connecting with someone on social media, then that can help you to feel less alone. Right? Absolutely. 1000%. How did you decide to really share your journey on social media? Because you, you really shared it all on social yeah. media, which isn't easy to do. What inspired you to do that? Other women. Other women. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I needed it for myself because I was holding so much inside. And even with my husband, he's like, are you really going to share that on your blog? I started sharing mm-hmm. it on my blog. And then I was like, am I doing something wrong? Mm-hmm. Is this wrong that I'm sharing this? And then I started seeing women be so open with their journey. It almost feels like I'm not drowning anymore if I share. And so I did it for me with the knowledge that I was supported by a ton of strangers on the internet that understood Mm -hmm. how I felt. And so I started to share and it felt good to do that because then I felt like I could also show up for other people in the thick of it as well. And that's where I found Mm -hmm. part of healing is also being there for somebody else. And I reflect a lot on gratitude and Mm -hmm. just being kind and respectful and empathetic for other people's journeys as well. And Mm -hmm. so that's kind of what got me there. Like you said, sometimes we're not sure if we're supposed to share it because somehow fertility is like associated with sex. Uh Uh-huh. Absolutely. Oh, this is like me talking about my sex life. And I think that's why sometimes husbands or our male partners Mm -hmm. may be kind of resistant because it's like, what? Why are you talking about our sex life out there in the public, right? Right. Yeah. That's exactly what happened to us. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It's it's not not about that, though. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about is you had a pregnancy, you had a child after infertility, but the stress of infertility doesn't just disappear, right? Mm -hmm. It it can carry into the pregnancy. It can carry into postpartum and beyond. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What was that like for you? Yeah, this is a great topic because I feel like we don't talk about it enough. Mm -hmm. I was very surprised that when I had my newborn in my arms, I wasn't as happy as I thought I would be. There's two things. Number one, we don't talk enough about maternal mental health care and the lack of support that women receive postpartum. A newborn child sees, on average, uh, their pediatrician eight or nine times. And Mm -hmm. a woman, after they go through this trauma, your body goes through this traumatic experience of having a baby, let alone trying to create one. If you're Mm -hmm. infertile, you only get one visit. And it's very general. How are you doing? I remember my doctor asked me, how are you feeling? And I'm like, well, I'm clothed. I'm alive. I'm (laughs) sort of fed. I drove myself here with my infant. I'm doing well. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I was not. Right. I was not well. Yeah, totally. And, And I think that also goes back and says why you need to do some therapy during infertility treatment. Because imagine not doing any mm-hmm. and then going mm-hmm. to that postpartum stage or going through the pregnancy because uh, unfortunately, yes, you have all this anxiety and someone who may have gone through a loss and now they're going through a pregnancy and like you said, waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's like this fear that, is this real? Am I? Is this for yes. me? Mm-hmm. I've waited so long for this to happen. Mm-hmm. Maybe someone's going to take it away mm-hmm. and it's going to be not for real. Right. That's exactly right. So it's it's like you need to, I think, continue to work with someone if possible, because I think we're waiting for pregnancy to be this ah moment. Right. Mm-hmm. Because that's what we've built it to be when you've been waiting for so long. And then all of a sudden you have maybe morning sickness or things going on and bleeding or you're scared and people are like, but you're pregnant. Aren't you happy? It's it's hard. Really yeah. hard. Especially like to backtrack a little bit during pregnancy. Mm-hmm. My pregnancy was not easy. I had anxiety mm-hmm. attacks throughout my pregnancy. 11 weeks, I had a subchorionic hematoma. And I thought it was it was just done. It was so bad. And no one knew. I didn't share with anybody, right. anyone. And when I go and reflect on my social media posts, when I would post about my pregnancy, like, I've gained a couple pounds. This is what I'm craving. 
that was just all mm-hmm. a facade because behind the scenes yeah. I was I was just petrified of the other shoe just mm-hmm. dropping and it all being a sham and just like you said yeah. just not going to work out not right. real mm-hmm. it's not for you mm-hmm. right yeah. again we we go back to the importance of mental health and mental well-being in this mm-hmm. working with a therapist so 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 important advocating for yourself speaking up if something isn't feeling right and not feeling ashamed to say you need help absolutely did you ever feel when you're going through infertility treatment that you are sort of disconnected from your body or you were angry with your body or upset that this was why is my body doing this to me oh yes I've mentioned a few times that I felt like a science experiment, but mm-hmm. I also it became like me against my reproductive system. I was just mad. I was so angry. I felt so less than, again, because of mm-hmm. being brought up in a very religious household of like, this is your duty. Your duty is to multiply and replenish the earth. And so I felt faulty. I just felt like, like a reject. And so all those feelings, energetically, you pull against yourself and your body absorbs everything. Oh, I have stress not in my back and my shoulders. Well, it's because you're stressed out. That's energy that you're pulling and you're putting it Mm -hmm. there in your back. You have to release that. And I didn't realize that I had this hate relationship for my body until I stopped exercise. I was like, I'm not going to exercise anymore. Like, why? Why am I going to continue to move my body? It was something Mm -hmm. I love to do. I grew up in a very athletic family and then I just stopped. And it was fear of doing something that would hinder a potential cycle, but also Mm -hmm. like, why am I going to move you? Because you are not doing what you're supposed to. I made poor choices of what I was putting in my body. I just wasn't, I just felt disconnected. Mm -hmm. What kind of work did you do to try to get yourself to old Maryland? Reiki. And it was like a new and improved mm-hmm. Maryland because I developed traits within myself that I wouldn't have refined if pregnancy would have come easy for me. So mm-hmm. it was like, how do I take these shattered pieces of myself and put myself back together like Humpty Dumpty? How can you make this experience be worth something? What can you learn from this? Which I, I hate even saying, what's the learning experience through your trauma? Right. But it's like, what can you really learn through this? I'm really strong. I'm really brave. And I'm capable of self-healing. Mm-hmm. And when I was getting my breaking certifications, I came across a healer that did a reading on me. I just found her. She was actually an ex-girlfriend of an old colleague. And I called her up and I was like, can you do a reading for me? I feel like I got to release something. And she didn't know who I was. She didn't know anything about me. She's like, oh, girl, you've you got something in your womb. And I was like, you've got so much tension and resentment. And when she said resentment, I was like, that's the word. Mm -hmm. I I can help you release that resentment. You have to connect with your femininity and your cycle. It's like having your period is beautiful. I'm like, don't say that. (laughs) But how our bodies work as females, it's so beautiful. And so she's like, you're disconnected so much that you no longer see yourself as worthy and feminine because you have so much resentment there. Mm -hmm. And so it was a really powerful experience, just the acknowledging like, oh, yeah, yeah, I don't really hate myself. I I do have a lot of resentment and Mm -hmm. we have to repair that. Yeah, and I think that everything becomes about fertility. As you mentioned that you were like, oh, well, I shouldn't work out because maybe that Mm -hmm. is going to affect the cycle. So everything in your life surrounds that and there's no other space for the stuff that once brought you happiness, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That's just like, we're not going to be happy right now. Yeah, like you're choosing to be unhappy. Mm -hmm. No, I'm not. I'm not going to do the things that make me happy because I'm not getting what I want. Right. There's Mm -hmm. no room for being happy. But I think that it's important to continue trying to do the things that make you happy and Mm -hmm. make you you and not just make you reduce yourself down and define yourself as infertility Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because that's what it becomes. Like you said, you're a science experiment. Yeah. (laughs) What helped is that eventually my husband's like, we need to start doing stuff for ourselves because if this doesn't Mm -hmm. work, that's what we have to do anyway. So why don't we just start doing that now? And we started traveling a ton. 
I mean, we went all over the place mm-hmm. to South America, to Hawaii. We traveled to different national parks. We love hiking. And we just explored the world. Well, part of the world, mm-hmm. semi-part of the world. And it was really great to just to do that, to kind of escape the monotony of what you think about in your head every day of trying to conceive. I think that's super important to, because like you said, at the end of all this, you had, you knew had talked to your husband about, hey, if this doesn't work out, we're going to be okay. Well, you're still going to have the both of you together. Mm-hmm. So you have to maintain the connection. Were there other things you did besides finding time and traveling to continue that bond during all this? Serving others. We volunteered at homeless mm-hmm. shelters and food shelters. And I was really passionate about serving women in domestic violence shelters. And so I would go and just do advocacy work and take in appointments. I would clean their shed. I would accept donations and just serving other people, just finding a way to serve. And that really helped us a lot. It really did. Just being two physically healthy people, essentially not able to conceive, but very healthy And using that and taking the opportunity to identify, okay, we can serve other people that don't have access to food and Mm -hmm. a home and we can make a difference for them. So that really Mm -hmm. helped. I think that's beautiful. Having this idea of doing something outside and then I love that you guys did that together also. Mm -hmm. It's a bonding relationship thing for both of you. Mm -hmm. Now you started a company called Infertile Teas, which mm-hmm. I have one. Ah, oh, <laughs> yay! And so you're wearing good. yours. I <laughs> so I want to know about it and how you started that company and tell us a little bit about it. The concept came about in August of 2019 when I was preparing for my fourth transfer. I was looking for a transfer t-shirt because we were living here in Charlotte and my frozen embryos were in Salt Lake City. So I had to fly there. And I told my husband, I'm going to fly there by myself because if I need to close this chapter by myself or it's going to be a new chapter, either way, I got to do this alone. It was like a spiritual experience by myself. My good girlfriend took me to my appointment. She held my hand during transfer. My acupuncturist that I had used for years was there. It was a beautiful spiritual experience. And I was like, I need a perfect shirt. I'm a self-taught graphic designer. I can draw something on my iPad, send it to the local print shop here where I live. They'll print out a t-shirt for me. And I did that. And so when I wore it on my transfer day in Utah, the girls at the clinic were like, that shirt is so cute. I designed it. I was so proud. And so I was like, maybe people want to buy it. But I didn't think of like, I'm going to start a company. Just another way that I can continue to serve the community is like really cute designs through a really crappy time. Mm -hmm. And so when that transfer failed... I kind of naturally gravitated to creativity. And so I pulled out my iPad and I just started designing. People had been asking for t-shirts and -hmm. and I was like, okay, just DM me or Venmo me. And so one day I was like, I think I just going to open up an Instagram in Fertile Tees. That kind of feels good. I started putting my designs on the Instagram feed. One day I opened up my DMs and I was like, how am I going to keep track of these Venmos. People just sent me their money. I'm responsible for this now. I um, taught myself how to build a website. I was still having people DM me and Venmo me for stuff because I was so (laughs) afraid to hit live on my website. I just felt like so geeky. I just kind of let fear settle in. And I was like, you know Mm -hmm. what, Marilyn, you literally have nothing to lose. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to hit live on my store on June 1st, which is my daughter's birthday. I hit live and then I did a private shopping event for like a hundred people to see if the checkout process was smooth. The worst thing that could happen is me say, I am so sorry. This didn't work. Let me make Mm -hmm. it better. We're learning. Being vulnerable with yourself and saying, hey, Marilyn, you're going to mess up. You're going to fail, but you'll Mm -hmm. fail forward and you'll learn. And that's okay. Right. You're going to fail. Be good with failing. That's how it was born. And it's been a beautiful experience. The joy that I get. Like you wearing the shirt right now, I like want to cry. I'm like, you're wearing something Aww. that I designed? Like, that's amazing. I love it. <laughs> I mean, I love the jewelry and you have great sweatshirts. You have to check out her site, which we'll put in the show notes because <laughs> you have so many great designs on there. And I'm, I'm sure anybody will find something that resonates with them. Thank so. you. Can you tell us a little bit about where listeners can find you and how they can connect with you and more about your shop? 
Yeah. You can find me at Marilyn B. Gomez on Instagram. I hang out there. I talk a lot about womanhood and spirituality, having one child, personal development and healing, infertilities on Instagram as well, or infertilities.com. Oh, I also have a podcast. We're on hiatus right now until, mm-hmm. well, the goal is spring and then infertilities has had me really busy, which is great. So we will be coming back this year at Mama Vida yeah, Podcast. I love your podcast. <laughs> Please check her out. I love her podcast. So I I love listening to all your stories and the story about your parents. I thought it was great. Thank you. So, so special that you were able to share that with listeners. One of the things and we and I touched on this earlier, we talked a little bit about that is trying to find joy in the everyday, Mm -hmm. even on the infertility community. I asked my guests how they find joy and cultivate joy in their life now. Oh, wow. That's such a good question. I think the most common idea of finding joy is getting a massage, getting your nails done and doing all those external things. And for me, finding joy starts with me inside, right? My thoughts. Mm -hmm. Am I folding into my limiting beliefs or am I always operating with my higher self and my higher good? Check with your thoughts. Am I listening to my body? Am I resting enough? Am I hydrated Am I honoring my body when it doesn't feel well? Am I rejoicing when my body feels good? And am I honoring my emotions at the right time Mm -hmm. and sitting with myself wholly? And like today, for example, I hosted a family barbecue today. Everyone left. My daughter went to bed and I was like, all right, Marilyn, what's going to make you happy right now? You're going to laugh. You're going to think I'm the (laughs) biggest geek. I have quartz in my backyard, quartz, uh, rocks. And, and okay, the, got you. Yeah, like quartz, crystals, crystals. Yeah, in my yard, <laughs> they just are in the ground. And okay. I just learned how to identify quartz. I think I have quartz in my backyard. So I went outside with a chisel, <laughs> sat in the grass, and I was like, "This is what it made me happy." And I'm going like this <laughs> in the clay. And then my husband taps the window, and I look up, and he's probably thinking, "What is my wife doing outside?" <laughs> And her pajama shorts with a chisel. <laughs> Neighbors are probably thinking she's having a breakdown. And I was like, this is what's making me happy. Just digging in the earth. Honoring the childlike moments. I think we forget mm-hmm. to be children yes. in ourselves. As adults, we talk about, oh, adulting, adulting. Like getting your mm-hmm. oil, changing your car. That doesn't bring you joy. Bringing joy is sitting with your imagination and being childlike. And so mm-hmm. honoring those moments, dancing freely, listening to wacky music and moving your body and doing things, getting your hands dirty and like digging into earth, Mm -hmm. honoring those childlike moments. I mean, when you watch and observe a child do those things, they're so happy. We can do that too, still. I totally agree. Actually, today I went to the beach and I was like, you know what? I'm going to get in the sand and get messy Mm -hmm. and not be like, oh my God, I kept thinking like my car is going to get dirty and it's going to be messy and my bag going to get dirty. And I was like, whatever. And I'm going to look at rocks in the sand and I'm looking for shells. And and that's what I did this morning, because like you said, it's good to just do things and let yourself go. Oh, I love that. I love that. You're so right. Letting go. Well, thank you so, so much for sharing your story, for giving us so much wisdom. I know your story is going to resonate with so many who are listening and I really appreciate you. And keep doing what you're doing on Instagram. You make me laugh all the time, and sure, so many others as well. Thank you so much, Shala. I appreciate you having me. The Fertility Journeys Podcast. Thank you for listening today. Episodes of Fertility Journeys drop every week. Follow wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at fertilityjourneys.org. Next time on the Fertility Journeys Podcast an expert that can really help us go through things we really need to know about our gut health and the microbiome. Welcome, Dr. Vivian Chen. We now know that there is a very intimate connection between gut health and immune health. And it makes sense because 70 to 80% of our immune system is actually in the gut. It's where we first encounter a lot of pathogens and things we don't want in our bodies. So the immune system's there to defend us against these potential offenders. If the gut is compromised, the first thing that's going to be impacted is your immune system. Downstream from that, if you have leaky gut, there could be endotoxins, so toxins from inside of our gut, the bacteria in the gut, leaking into our bloodstream, causing generalized inflammation, and then lead to hormonal dysregulation. 
It can affect our fertility. There's so many different aspects that are connected to gut health. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Please consult with your own physician as information shared on this podcast is not a substitute for medical advice.